This week on AARP, The Perfect Scam. I've never seen anybody hide in plain sight like this. Nobody but him, to this day, knows exactly who he is or why he did what he did. He was an individual that, under his fake name, was able to gain access to the President of the United States and to a number of high-level politicians. Welcome back to AARP, The Perfect Scam. I'm your host, Will Johnson, joined, as always, in the studio by AARP's Fraud Watch Network Ambassador, Frank Havignale. Great to be with you, Will. This week, actually, over the course of the next three weeks, we are going to delve deep into the story of Captain Bobby Thompson. This was a veterans charity scam that was fairly big news in parts of the country. A lot of people might not have ever heard about it. I understand you you have some familiarity with, with Bobby Thompson. And the scam, which uh, there are so many charity scams. So uh, I'm familiar with quite a few different types of charity scams. Uh, Today, uh, more so than ever before, there are all of these so-called charity scams that people just start up, create a website, and then start soliciting people for money. And people give money without ever verifying that, in fact, is legitimate. Where's the money going? What are they doing with the money? Uh, I can't even tell you how many I get at home just in the mail uh, every day that are just all types of charities, some legitimate, uh, some not legitimate. uh, But there are so many out there that, you know, I would never give money or part with my money to anyone that I really didn't understand. Was it real? And this is a true charity. And and also, how does the charity spend their money? I don't want to give money to a charity that spends 80 percent of those monies on administrative costs flying around and having dinners and uh, going all over the country. I want to give a charity that's going to get the money in the hands of the people who need it. Some scams are successful because they strike fear into people. Charity scams have that emotional hook. Oftentimes, you know, the, a picture of a of a of a wounded or, or sick or mangy dog, you know, or what have you. I mean, they, they tug at the heart. Especially ones that affect children or that are charity scams for right. uh, that are giving money to help children that uh, don't have a home or children that are hungry, etc. So you mentioned the mail. Charity scams can come in any number of ways, in person, on a street corner, in front of a store. They can come through the mail, email, phone. A telephone call, exactly. All right, well, let's jump into today's story. And for the next few weeks, we will be hearing about Captain Bobby Thompson. This story begins with a $500 check. It ends with over $100 million stolen, missing, and possibly gone forever. It begins with a newspaper reporter and a hunch. It takes us to Florida, to Ohio, to Oregon, and back to Ohio. Along the way, you'll hear about connections to the CIA and military intelligence, political donations, and buried secrets. You'll also hear about a wanted felon who took photos with presidents and politicians, a man willing to ignore his past. How much to believe and what to believe is up to you. If you've got anything to hide, Jeff Testerman is not the kind of guy you want digging around in your background. I was uh, mainly a government and courts uh, kind of person and was uh, pretty good with public records. And uh, so that uh, lent itself to uh, investigative work in the government sector and in the court sector. In late summer 2009, Testerman, a veteran investigative reporter for the St. Petersburg Times, was working on a story about a local candidate who appeared to be exaggerating some of his military credentials. Testerman found the name of a charity organization, the U.S. Navy Veterans Association, that had donated a $500 check to the candidate. And I'm expecting, you know, that these people will sort of uh, be appreciative of uh, me bringing this to their attention. 
Maybe they didn't know what this guy was. The U.S. Navy Veterans Association was a tax-exempt organization that claimed to raise money for U.S. Navy veterans and their families. Anyone could get a call from the organization asking for money. It's the type of call you're probably familiar with, someone asking for money for what sounds like a worthwhile cause. And the association had raised a lot of money from a lot of people, and it would be used for food, financial support, supplies, anything that could be considered helpful to a vet and his or her family. After calling around, he learned that the USNVA's Director of Development, Captain Bobby Thompson, lived in the Tampa area, actually just a few miles away. I made the two-mile drive out to his uh, place, I got his address, uh, and uh, was in a, a sector of uh, uh, sort of a, a rough part of town uh, in uh, Ybor City, which is outside of uh, Tampa. The duplex he lived in was uh, not impressive, shall we say. I would call it falling down, maybe, or dilapidated. Testerman pulls up unannounced and finds Captain Bobby Thompson right away. Thompson was outside the duplex on a cell phone in uh, flip-flops, uh, shorts, a T-shirt, and a Navy hat. I went up and introduced myself. And you recognized him because you had done a little pre... Well, I mean, I had the address, and I mean, he fit the M.O. He had the Navy hat on. I says, Commander Thompson, or I said, uh, uh, Mr. Thompson, and he said, yes. He knew my reputation. He knew who I was. He read the newspaper. He knew that I was an investigative reporter. He yeah. knew that the subjects of my stories, uh, frankly, didn't fare well uh, <laughs> over time. So maybe, uh, so he, so maybe he thinks, great, this guy's digging into my past. Did you let him know pretty quickly then that you were looking into this this councilman and just wanted some reactions from him? Absolutely. I had no reason to suspect anything. Uh, about him. As I said, I, I, I knew nothing about the group. Uh, had uh, just uh, looked him up online a couple of days earlier and immediately uh, told him that I was there because I wanted to ask him about a campaign contribution. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, even though this was on uh, a different uh, level than he might have anticipated, he uh, uh, gave me a very, very hostile reaction. And uh, talked to me for a few minutes, but damn near did everything but throw me off his property. Interesting. And so you, you, you must be surprised as this is all happening. Well, I'm really taken aback because, like I say, I, I, I believe I'm going to come to this group uh, in good faith. I'm going to say that uh, I'm here to ask about a campaign contribution. There's some questions that have arisen about the, the party to whom you've given the check. And um, I wonder if you could... Uh, uh, react for me and tell me uh, uh, what you think about it. And I'm thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a quick quote, get my car, go back to the office, write my story, and that'll, that'll be the last I ever hear of the Navy Veterans Association. Given the reaction he gets, Testerman, like any good investigative reporter, is curious. I uh, sort of went uh, on, on the uh, offensive and, and began asking maybe more questions than uh, was healthy at the time. Uh, uh, including uh, questions about his background. He said, well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, Bobby Thompson. I'm a uh, U.S. Navy Reserve uh, lieutenant commander, retired. And I think I must have asked something about his background. And he said, you know, I share a name with a relative or two, and, you know, my credit's been corrupted. And if you look, uh, look me up, you'll see that I go uh, four different places. Well, that was, that was a little more information than I was asking for. What does he mean by that, four different places? Uh, he means that, uh, 
you can't trace me back and figure out exactly who I am. So if you really want to get the attention of an investigative reporter, Captain Bobby Thompson is doing just that. And the conversation isn't getting any more cordial. And he he was in my face and pointing his finger at me and uh, uh, saying, uh, buddy, uh, you don't... uh, you don't need to be here, and uh, frankly, uh, uh, don't come back. And uh, he, I was close enough to him to know that he'd had a drink or two by 10 in the morning. So um, I didn't hang around too long. Testerman gets back in his car and heads back to the office. I did leave with a, a vague sense that I had pulled on a string and something was unraveling. And I didn't know what it was, but there was just, call it the reporter's hunch. And I wonder what the heck that was all about. That's not what it was supposed to be. And by the way, he didn't look like a Navy commander. He didn't live in a place that looked like it ought to be uh, the residence of a Navy commander. And I just have a sense that something's out of place here. Back at his desk, Testerman tells the story to his chief researcher, John Martin. If anyone could dig into Thompson's past, Testerman knew Martin could. They both started poring through the USNVA's website, over 2,500 pages long, trying to get some information. But the story just gets stranger. They can't seem to find anything about the CEO, a man by the name of Jack Nimitz. A search for other board members comes up empty. This is an organization with 12 board members, 75 state officers, and over 40 state chapters, but nothing comes up. They do have an address, an office on M Street in Washington, D.C. I was on the phone trying to track somebody down at their Washington uh, suite on M Street in Washington, D.C. Ultimately, after about a week of this, uh, we called uh, our Washington bureau and we asked a reporter up there, could you run down to M Street and knock on the door of the Navy Veterans Office in uh, uh, at their suite there? Because uh, we can't seem to raise anybody but the receptionist. And he got in his car and he drove down and he came back and he sent us a picture and he said, <laughs> "Here's here's the here's the office suite for the Navy Veterans. It was a rented mailbox." Holy cow! We knew. We had something. We were just positive we had something. So eventually you do find someone, and tell me if I'm jumping ahead too far, but you find Helen McMurray, an attorney, an outside counsel for USNVA. I got McMurray on the phone, and she was just as real as she could be. Uh, She was so real, in fact, uh, that by the second time I had talked to her, she had a tried to put the fear of God into me by saying that, you know, the Navy veterans is a real, is the real deal, and they got real contributions, and they got a real history in this uh, community, in this country, and you better not trifle with this group, or I'll have you in court in about three days. Helen McMurray is now a law professor in Ohio, but at the time she was practicing law full-time and serving as general counsel for the U.S. Navy Veterans Association. The USNVA had offices in states across the country, but Helen worked out of her home office in Ohio. Coming from a military family herself, she liked the fact that the association was doing good things for Navy vets. There would be consumer complaints that uh, would be filed against the association, and occasionally an attorney general's office would open an investigation. And so I would handle the investigation uh, for the association um, and then 
uh, either get the association to change its conduct or we entered into a settlement agreement or those types of things. And if you could, let me get like sort of your first impressions. Can you share what, what knowledge you had of of the USNVA or, or what the work they were doing? It all sounded quite, uh, it sounded like they were doing good things. Absolutely. Uh, I am the uh, daughter of a Navy veteran. Uh, we have a lot of Navy folks in our family, and I was kind of proud to be representing that association. And what was your understanding um, of what uh, what their what the charity was all about? What, what what were they doing, as far as you knew? My understanding was that they were providing a variety of programs to Navy vets and or their families, and it couldn't be involved with educational materials. It could be involved with um, sending uh, uh, different backpacks and, and things like that, uh, care packages, if you will, overseas to, to veterans. Um, they also did um, political uh, donations so that they could continue to promote their messages. Um, they had a website of, of over 2,500 pages that had a lot of uh, resources and references as well. But just kind of like typical of what you see an association do that's, that's um, working with veterans or military or police, that type of thing. Helen McMurray was surprised that her only point of contact with the association was Captain Bobby Thompson. And by all accounts, he was a colorful character. His hair was long in front, a pompadour, some would say, wild beard and mustache, and he seemed to have access to some very high-level politicians in Washington, D.C. He had his photo taken with senators and even President George W. Bush, and he was an active contributor to the Republican Party. Yes, I, I did start to learn about his contacts with very prominent political figures in the national scene and uh, recalled specifically that I got a Christmas card from him one year and on the front of the card was a picture with him with, with uh, former President Bush. I mean, there was you know, Giuliani you've got pictures with and um, Reagan, Bush, um, you know, other important, very important national political people. And as McMurray comes to learn, he was also well-versed in legal matters and jargon. Every conversation with him was like a Supreme Court argument. Uh, he would easily keep me on the phone for an, an hour at a time, um, kind of raging against people who want to try to impinge on the free speech of him and the Navy vets. But to be honest with you, I mean, uh, they were interesting discussions, too, about the First Amendment. His home base was Florida, but you, you would yeah. talk to him on the phone. It didn't really matter where he was. You would have, sounds like, long conversations, and he would wax yeah. poetic about the law, and, and they could be... Yeah. Interesting and, and entertaining, it sounds like, to some degree. Um, to some degree. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they would come at 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Then, not so much. <laughs> how, how, other than the conversations being like that, how would you describe him? Was he a friendly guy? Was Did you enjoy sort of, I mean, other than getting a call late at night, how, how would you describe him, your first impressions? I I thought he was a lawyer wannabe. Uh, you get people like that. You know, they they enjoy the law and they know a little bit about the law and they want to pretend that they're that they're lawyers. We watch a lot of and, Law and Order or something on exactly. TV. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of really what I thought he was. So as Helen McMurray explains it, she was just doing her job, and as it turns out, part of her job is fielding questions from Jeff Testerman back in Tampa, Florida. Even though they were showed that they were real people, real lawyers, credentialed, uh, legal help. Uh, were the opposite of transparency. So Testerman has enough red flags to keep his investigation going. His first bizarre meeting with Thompson, not being able to track down the CEO or anyone other than Thompson, 
and the fact that attorneys wouldn't turn over tax returns. But back in Ohio, McMurray was taking her marching orders from Thompson. And in fact, she's still having those long conversations over the phone, never in person. And my understanding is you spoke to him on the phone for, for a year and before you met years. him in person. Years. Years before you met him in person. Yes. Okay. Yes. In fact, it was an accident that I met him in person. Um, he and I were both in Seattle. Uh, I was there for an attorney general meeting, and uh, there was a fundraiser for the uh, attorney general um, of Washington. Um, and coincidentally, uh, Bobby was out there attending it. And I, of course, went to it since I was there as well. And, uh, you know, he walked up to me and uh, said, are you the uh, Helen McMurray from you know, Columbus, Ohio? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I'm Bobby Thompson. <laughs> and did you know immediately who he was when, when he stood in front of you before he asked that question? No idea. I had no idea. And plus, he looked bizarre. Um, he had this huge, uh, unruly head um, of black, jet black hair. Um, he had an uh, unkempt mustache and, and beard. And he was wearing a suit out of like the 70s. It was a, a brown suit with a black shirt and a black tie. And it was, you know, very dated, a little worn, rumpled. Back in Florida, Testerman isn't giving up. The story's too fishy, too many red flags. So he's requesting tax records from the IRS, and gradually they start trickling in. And one of the first things you see is, boy, they're bringing in a lot of money. They are bringing in millions of dollars. And this is where we first understood that they had hired uh, professional telemarketing firms to raise money for them. For every dollar they raise, they keep 85 cents. Hmm. And That's a lot. Sort of, that's a lot. And this sort of raises a question about, is that, well, is that, uh, uh, is that kosher? And you do a little more work, and you find out that, you know what, there's actually a Supreme Court decision that says uh, solicitation uh, is a form of free speech and it's protected. And whether they keep 99 cents or one cent, uh, it's still uh, a protected uh, type of speech. Well, who would hire somebody who's keeping that much? Well, somebody that uh, is uh, knows that uh, maybe six million dollars will come in, and I get to keep one. A <laughs> uh, million right. dollars is a million dollars, right? Yeah. Uh, even if your telemarketers uh, keep five. For comparison, about eighty-nine cents of every dollar Doctors Without Borders raises goes to supporting their missions. In fact, to become accredited by the BBB Wise Giving Alliance, the watchdog requires charities to spend no more than thirty-five percent of their contributions on fundraising. For Testerman, the plot's getting thicker, and things weren't getting any easier for Helen McMurray. Captain Bobby Thompson reached out asking her to handle getting the paperwork together for an audit of the USNVA's Connecticut office, again, one of the many USNVA offices around the country. He came to our office here in Ohio for two full days, and he brought with him all of the Connecticut receipts. He claimed that they had been in a station wagon in Connecticut, that was flooded. Um, there was a news article, a news story, you know, a month or so before we met about a, a bad flood in Connecticut. Um, and so there was missing receipts, there was destroyed receipts, there was uh, receipts that were very hard to read. And we spent basically the two days going through the receipts, identifying what was responsive to the IRS's request. Did you have any reason to be concerned at that point or just feel like the bookkeeping was not what it should be? There were uh, quite a few things that were uh, concerning. 
there was a, a, a pretty large number um, of personal items that were being purchased um, and purportedly being sent uh, overseas to veterans in those backpacks I mentioned. And, you know, things like mustache wax and black hair dye, okay? Mm. <laughs> and if you recall my description of Bobby, um, you know, that was uh, uh, certainly obviously used for him. And then there were things that obviously weren't getting shipped overseas, like uh, six packs of beer and frozen dinner entrees. So, um, you know, we spent the time working with him so he understood what was a proper um, purchase for a, a nonprofit to make and what was not. Um, so we kind of tried to use it as a learning opportunity. And and what was his attitude? I mean, so you're finding mustache wax, hair dye, beer, uh, frozen dinners. I feel like that would have been an awkward conversation to have. <laughs> he insisted this last breath that everything was for the veterans, okay? Uh, I mean, he even got into this whole debate with with one lawyer about whether it was legal or not to ship beer to servicemen serving overseas. I mean, he just, he was right. He was 100% right, and we couldn't tell him otherwise. There was an instance, and was it the morning of the audit where you met with him, and am I right that he, he didn't seem to be in the best of shape? He was more disheveled, um, very nervous, um, I, I, I mean, he was almost—I don't want to use the word terrified—but you just just tell that that he was a lot more nervous than. And you know, I mean, IRS audits are never going to be good, but he was—he wasn't quite trembling, but he was just exceptionally nervous. And you, correct me if I'm wrong. Did I read that you could smell liquor on him that morning, or or it seemed like maybe? Oh, yes, actually, um, when he was at my my law office, um, he, and this was first thing in the morning, he smelled like a. Uh, uh, I mean, just crazy. Um, it was a great smell of alcohol. As McMurray's handling the Connecticut audit, Jeff Testerman and his researcher John Martin are hard at work. His file on Thompson is growing, but he wants something else. And we finally uh, uh, discovered that uh, we, had, we had forgotten to check the state registrations that the state chapters of the Navy veterans must file in the particular states that they're in. John turned up uh, the first really interesting uh, thing that sort of heightened our uh, scent on this this whole uh, project when uh, one of the states, I think it might have been Oregon, sent him uh, the filings that the Navy veterans had uh, uh, done and in it was a picture of Bobby Thompson standing next to and shaking the hand of President George W. Bush. In 1954, President Eisenhower issued the first Presidential Veterans Day proclamation. He set aside November the 11th in order that a grateful nation might pay appropriate homage to the veterans of all its wars who have contributed so much to the preservation of our nation. So this Veterans Day, Laura and I join our fellow Americans in saluting all the brave men. We just about fell out of our chairs, you know. <laughs> Here's and this guy that you ran into outside of an apartment unit, maybe smelling of alcohol, uh, in flip-flops, and putting his finger in your face, and then all of a sudden you've got this picture. And, and this, this guy is standing with the president. Yep. What is up? What are we missing here? What's going on? Now, remember, the USNVA had offices and chapters in states around the country and supposedly each office has a dedicated officer. And uh, there was a, a second uh, element to the state filings. The state filings, unlike anything else we ever had, including the IRS uh, tax returns, uh, 
uh, gave the state officers not just their names, but their addresses. And so we began to check the addresses for the state officers. And uh, one of the very first ones we did was an officer by the name of uh, Howard Bonifacio out in uh, New Mexico. And we checked uh, the, the address that was given on the state filing there, and it turned out to be a piece of vacant land that had nothing on it but uh, mesquite bushes. And we said, well, uh, let's, let's dig some more. Uh, we found a few others that were vacant lots. We found uh, some uh, that were hotels. We found some that were condominiums, you know, where there, the officer, there was no uh, listing for the officer at the condominium or in the hotel. So these were, this became the tipping point because these were fraudulent or phony filings with state authorities. So at that point, uh, we said, uh, we, we've, let's, let's publish this thing. But it was seven months from the moment I'd seen him in August of uh, 2009 to March 2010 when we published our series, which was uh, headlined uh, Under the Radar. And how, how long was the article? You know, it ran over, it was a long series. It ran over, I think, three days to begin with. So we put it out front, played it big. Uh, followed it up, and we're damn sure that we had it right. Helen McMurray's life still not getting any easier. Surprisingly, the IRS had pretty much given the association a clean bill of health after the audit. She learns later it was a training audit, and perhaps that had something to do with the outcome. But Testerman's article's getting a lot of attention, not just in Florida, but across the country. And so you came out of the meeting with auditors. How are you feeling at this point about uh, Bobby Thompson and, and what's going on? Nervous, because it was a three or four day front page series, okay? And there was frequent follow-up articles. And as the press continued, we started to get subpoenas from state attorneys general. Um, and then we started getting lawsuits filed. So all of a sudden, what had started with fairly run-of-the-mill legal issues uh, that you were able to resolve had become something something bigger and more nefarious. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And what did you have conversations, ongoing conversations with him during this time? He became increasingly um, nuts <laughs> when I went, went down to Florida when the uh, St. Petersburg Times article first came out. Uh, met him at 7:30 in my hotel for breakfast, and we met for an hour, and he drank four Bloody Marys. And so what happened? Did you, at some point, did you go to the authorities? I did, I did. Um, so at, at a particular point, um, I indicate that, um, you know, I, I need to have certain information. And um, he, he was, I couldn't, I was not able to, he, he told me I could have whatever I wanted. Um, and then I flew down to Florida uh, immediately, and I met with um her name is Blanca Contreras. The meeting with Contreras was odd, but perhaps Helen was used to odd things happening around Bobby Thompson. At any rate, he told Helen she was the one with the records and could help her out. And uh, I walked in and, and into her apartment and uh, I said, I want to see all the financials, all the records of the Navy Vets Association. And she just freaked. And she originally said, no, uh, nobody but... Bobby can give permission for that. And I said, I talked to Bobby. He gave me the permission, you know. And so she disappears for a little bit. And she had converted her garage into 
a like a home office for the association. Mm-hmm. And so she comes back out and she points to a file cabinet and she says, uh, everything is in there. But as I got started to go through the files, I, ha- I started to notice that even though each state had a different um, executive director, many of them had the same social security number. Hmm. Okay. So it looked like they were falsifying that, which, um, of course, is an offense um, in every state. And then in a couple of the files um, where there were women who were the executive directors, I found tracing paper. And uh, on the tracing paper was where someone had practiced this person's signature. So that was enough for me. I'm like, this is indicative of criminal activity. And I literally drove across the street to the uh, Florida Attorney General's office who called the FBI. And and what happened from there? Did they get right? Did they get involved right away? They spent the evening well into the early hours of the morning interviewing me. I mean, it was kind of almost like the, you know, with the bulb, the the bare light bulb over your head, you know? Right, right. (laughs) I mean, it it must have felt like guilt by association at this point. It was was nerve wracking. I I mean, I had to consult with you know, because I also have this attorney-client privilege I have to be, have to deal with. Right. I can't, you know, and, but now an ongoing crime is an exception to the, the privilege, you know. So I had to consult with uh, and, and hire and retain, you know, ethics counsel to help me ensure I was doing everything, um, you know, professionally uh, correct with regards to ethics as well. Um, but at the end of the day, um, uh, I, uh, I, I had an affidavit that I signed for them based on what I told them, and then they um, subsequently used that to uh, conduct a search warrant at Blanca Contreras' home, and um, uh, they arrested Blanca Contreras, and then they had a warrant out for the arrest of who was then known as Bobby Thompson. But Jeff Testerman could have told police they wouldn't find him, at least not in the duplex in Florida. Thompson disappeared in the middle of the night, and we never even knew it, and uh, was gone, and nobody knew where where he was, including his attorneys. He was gone. And I'm back with AARP's Fraud Watch Network Ambassador Frank Abagnale. So we know that uh, Bobby Thompson is in the wind, as they say. They do say that, right, at the FBI? In the wind, or do I watch too many TV shows? Disappeared. disappeared. Oh, they don't even use that anymore. Okay. All right. So he he has disappeared, and uh, clearly... Uh, this scam is is much bigger than than anyone could have imagined. We'll hear more about it next week. In the meantime, uh, does any of this shock you? This charity scam. I mean, it's a Navy charity, so obviously that's tugging at the heartstrings of military folks. No, no, it doesn't. Because again, it is so easy to even set up a fake charity. I mean, to be able to go and just uh, get a name, create a very elaborate website. Might be on the website. You might say we've been around for twenty five years. If people don't check those things, you can say anything you want. You can make it look as elaborate as you want. Uh, And again, there's a return on your investment. You're going to make a lot of money with people starting to send you money. Even if they're just sending you $10 an individual, that money adds up to a great deal of money. So there are, again, so many charity scams out there. And then when we get into a political time where we're getting into people running for office, uh, then you have even more scams that go on uh, that you want to support this person, but they really have nothing to do with that person who's running. They're just using their name to get you to send them uh, money. How can you check to know if a, a candidate or a political organization or group is legitimate? Uh, two ways. First of all, there is, of course, the Fraud Watch Network. So you can call the Fraud Watch Network and basically 
find out through speaking to an advisor on the uh, Fraud Watch team that basically can tell you we don't have a listing for this uh, charity. Uh, we've already had complaints about this charity. There's the Better Business Bureau uh, that keeps very good records about these charities, who they are, whether they're real or not. And, of course, the attorney general of your state who can verify whether that charity is real or not, but also will act if you've actually sent money to that charity, but you come to find out it's not legitimate. The attorney general in that state is more apt to take action about that than any other law enforcement agency, local or federal. All right. So we will return next week to the uh, second part of our story, our three-part story about Captain Bobby Thompson. For more information and resources on how to protect yourself or a loved one from becoming a victim of a scam, you can visit aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. Many thanks to our producers, Julie Getz and Brooke Ellis, audio engineer Julio Gonzalez, and of course, my co-host, Frank Abagnale. Be sure to find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For The Perfect Scam, I'm Will Johnson. Are you 55 plus? There are many ways your community could use your help. As an AmeriCorps Seniors Volunteer, you can put your skills to work for the causes you care about, whether that's by becoming a companion for an older adult or a foster grandparent for a child, tutoring students, joining a disaster response effort, or fulfilling another interest. Choose how, where, and when you want to volunteer, starting at just a few hours a month. This is your moment to make a positive impact on your community and get back so much more in return. Visit AmeriCorps.gov slash your moment today.